at home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many want to see the Lord's face? Hallelujah. 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 Do you want to see the Lord's face? Hallelujah. Are you going to put on your throne and tell the story how the Lord heals you? How the Lord delivers you? How the Lord saves you? Hallelujah. How the Lord catch your mind? I feel a little bit better. 
being at Road to Damascus, being among uh, folks that I care about, and folks that I know care about me, folks that I'm praying for, and folks that I know are praying for me. It just makes me feel better. And I know it's not, all this stuff is not a feeling, but I just feel better when I'm here, and I'd rather be here than any other place. Um, scripture this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 35. Mm -hmm. Familiar passage of scripture, it seems like it uh, comes up a lot, but certainly in these days and times, um, it comes up and it's, in, it's important. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 35, it's a rather long chapter in and of itself, and it can be broken down into several uh, in several places, but I want to hold up verses 31 through 35 this morning, where Matthew chapter 6 says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first, some say seek ye first, seek first, the kingdom of God and his, capital letter, capital H, his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Verse 34 says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's Matthew 6, verses 31 through 35. I want to give you... A very simple thought this morning. Two words, one question, and you can read it <laughs> from where you sit. Why worry? <laughs> Why worry? There was a man who had uh, quite a few problems in his life. He had high credit card bills, high car payment, high house payment, a lot of problems, a lot of things going on in his life. And he was sharing these things with his friend one day. Credit card payment is very high. My car payment is very high. My house payment is very high. But you know what? I'm not worried about it. Now his friend was a little puzzled. His friend asked, not worried? Why are you not worried? He said, well, you see, I figured it out. I went out and hired a professional warrior who's gonna worry about all this stuff for me. And the thing is, I'm only gonna pay him $400,000 a year to worry about all these problems. So his friend was a little confused. His friend said, well, if, if your credit card payment is so high, and your house payment is so high, and your car payment is so high, where in the world are you going to get all the money, this $400,000, to pay this man? He said, that's his worry. <laughs> and so it is with our problems, with our issues, and the things that we go through in life. We actually have a professional warrior one that we can cast upon all our fears and all of our doubts, all of our issues, all the things that bother us, our anxieties and all of our cares, we can cast those same things upon Jesus. Yeah, yeah. He is our professional warrior. Yeah. And the better thing about Jesus than this $400,000 warrior is that the things that we, the, the cares that we cast upon Jesus, Jesus is the one who can actually do something about it. Yeah. We can pay doctors, we can pay lawyers, we can pay a, a, a whole host of people to consult and advise us on all of the things that uh, worry us, psychologists, psychiatrists. None of them can do a single thing to improve our condition. 
And even if they can improve our condition temporarily uh, on earth, they will never be able to improve or change our condition eternally right. in heaven. But thank God we have a, a professional who can take care of our worries. Matthew chapter 6 is very interesting. In, in this entire passage uh, of scripture uh, from verses 1 to 35, 35 uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he, he covers a lot of uh, issues. Um, uh, in the passage, he, he covers uh, charitable deeds. He talks about prayer, fasting, and wealth. And so Jesus in this uh, passage is speaking to his disciples and telling them, he's telling them how to be. He's telling them how to be. Now, when I think of someone telling me how to be, I often think about uh, uh, my mother and father. You know, when you're growing up, they're, they're always telling you how to be. And, and, and not only uh, are, are they trying to tell you what to do, they're comparing and contrasting the behavior to the behavior that they want from you. And they're also uh, comparing and contrasting that behavior to what they do not want. So when your parents are telling you how to be, they're telling you, do this. Don't do this, and don't be like that. Right. Yeah. You know, and if you have parents like mine, sometimes, you know, they compare, you know, they say, you're not supposed to compare your kids to other kids or other people. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you can't help it. The era I grew up in, yeah, we compared, yeah. <laughs> they compared me to other kids. So, oh, Dad, I got I got a B in my math class. Yeah, well, well uh, what did Roland get in his math class? Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, a B is not good enough. I got I to gotta worry about what Roland did, just kidding. I can't just worry about my own brain. But he was telling me what he wanted, what he didn't want, and how to be. In this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples the very same thing. Now, if you, uh, as a parent, if you can tell your children what you expect out of them and how to be, why wouldn't Jesus also be able to tell you and instruct you and teach you how to be? So when my parents would see other kids acting up, they would say, don't be like that. Mm -hmm. right. Be like this. Mm -hmm. yeah. My parents, uh, uh, when I didn't do what my parents asked me to do, they say, do this mm -hmm. and don't do that. Jesus was the same way in Matthew chapter 6. Quite often uh, nowadays on social media, you'll see uh, memes or illustrations that kind of jokingly tell you how to be. They'll show like a little stick figure of a, a guy named Bill. They'll say, this is Bill. When Bill sees something he doesn't like, he doesn't get offended, he doesn't argue, he just moves on. Be like Bill. And this is the, the type of culture that we live in, but it, it's a little simplistic. Because there's, there's no really comparison or contrast to the behavior that Bill should have. So in the same way that our parents taught and admonished us to behave thusly, this is the same way that Jesus was instructing his disciples, or the disciples, in Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus addressed prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told his disciples, he says, when you pray, don't be like the publicans. Right. And that was kind of funny because uh, as I was writing, the, the little spell check put Republicans. <laughs> now that I think about it, that was very funny. <laughs> had to go back and correct that. <laughs> go back. But he says, when you pray, that's good. Don't be like the publican. The publicans means like um, showy mm. people, people that do things just for show. Yeah. So he said, don't be like the publicans. And the people standing in the synagogue and on the corners praying so that everyone can see them and hear them. Yeah, yeah. He, he told the disciples, he says, don't use a bunch of words. Mm -hmm. Just talk to God. Yeah. He, he said, get off the corner. Mm -hmm. Go in your room. Yeah. Close the door.
then he said, this is what I want you to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, this is, this is the Bible. This is actually what it says. So he says, don't be like them. Don't do that. Do this. And when you pray, this is what you say. So Jesus had something to say about prayer and how to pray. Jesus had, had something to say about fasting. He said, when you fast, don't be like the people with the sad, dirty faces. Oh, child, I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. You know I'm fasting. I haven't had anything to eat today. And don't we all know somebody like that? If you don't, I do. We all know somebody like that. I mean, even, even in my small little office, I have two co-workers. Two co-workers. One of them fasts for almost two months out of every year. And you would never know if you didn't know him. The only reason I know is because he usually does it at a certain time of year. And when I walk into the office, instead of having candy and food on the desk, he'll have maybe some water and an apple. Because that's all he's eating. You know, it'll be fruit or water or, you know, these intermittent fasts during the year. So one co-worker fasts two months out of the year and you never hear a peep. You just see the apple or the water on the desk instead of the candy. The other co-worker... The other co-worker fasts or try, attempts to fast for anywhere from a day to three days to a week. And all you're going to hear all day or all week is, I'm so hungry. Or, I really want a burger. Or, I don't think, I'm just going to have to just cheat today and give me something to eat. I'm so hungry. I know I'm fasting, but it's not going to hurt to just have this or that. Well, I don't care about the fast anymore. I'm just going to do this. Always something. When this person is fasting, you absolutely know it. So my coworker and I, just, we always look at each other because we, you know, we're, um, um, I don't, I, I'm not in a rush to be tested, so I hesitate to say it, but we're, we're a little more seasoned, I guess, mm -hmm. as Christians. We're not perfect. We're not, we haven't arrived yet, mm -hmm. but maybe just, you know, we've been believers a lot longer than this other person if, if she is at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're just looking at each other and, and we think to ourselves, sometimes we say it out loud, it's like, you know what, that's exactly why her fast is not going to work. Mm -hmm. right. That's exactly why it's not going to work because she doesn't know why she's doing it, number one. And then on top of that, she has no discipline. Right. Yeah. You know, so in, in the little thought bubble above our heads, we're saying, don't be like that coworker. <laughs> don't be like Bill. <laughs> You know, but again, no discipline and no idea why you're doing something, it is not going to work. But again, that's what the publicans do. Want everybody to know what they do. Oh, I'm fasting. Oh, look at me. Jesus said, don't be like that. So he said, don't be like that when you pray. Be like this. Don't be like that when you fast. Be like this. Jesus talks about wealth in the same chapter. And he says, don't store your wealth among the places that will not last. And we hear it in the, um, you know, the, in the CME church, we recite it during the benevolent offering. Lay not up for yourselves your, your treasures where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Methodist church, long enough you know that by heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, don't place your wealth among things that will not last. He, he talks specifically of moth and rust. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about it, and you think about where you live your treasures and where you, where you live your wealth, what do moths destroy? Yeah. They destroy clothing. That's right. 
You got a moth in your closet, you're gonna come to your closet one day, you're gonna have a little, where these little holes come from? Where these little holes come from? Yeah. That's what moths do. They eat clothing, fabric, and textiles. He says, um, don't lay up your treasures where rust corrupts. Well, what has a tendency to rust? Well, some of these cars. You don't believe in, you, you, you believe you, you paid for that extra uh, clear coat and undercoat? Okay. Get, get a little chip in your paint and watch how fast it rusts. Or, or when you get a chance, just get down under your car and just look up and see how much that car is rusting from the inside. Again, clothing, cars, material things. He said, don't put your treasure or your wealth into those things. And he, he doesn't mean don't buy a car. He doesn't mean don't, don't look in your closet and get, get fresh. But what he means is like, you know, don't put your heart so much into those things that if you lose it, yeah. you're going to be downtrodden. Yeah. You see, I mean, we, we live in Los Angeles, we need our cars. You know, but your, your car is not your wealth. Your car is not everything. I, as a matter of fact, the last time I purchased a car, I remember it, it, I, I had to go all the way out to Burbank to get it. And I had to leave one car there. I didn't trade. I actually kept the car that I had. I didn't trade the car, so I had to leave one car there and drive the other car home. Mm -hmm. Now, the next day, everybody had school and work. I said, I had to get back out to Burbank to get my car. Now, my mother doesn't live 10 minutes away from me anymore. She lives, you know, an hour away. How am I going to get all the way from Compton to Burbank to get my car? Well, I went over to the Metro. <laughs> they got this brilliant little invention called a tap card. <laughs> You know, you, you get your card, you put some money on it, and everywhere you go, you just slide it and, you know, tap it. And, and so I took the bus, the train, and the, the Metrolink from Compton all the way to Burbank. I had all day. Didn't have a car, didn't have anything else to do. And I rode public transportation from Compton to Burbank. That's a long way. That's a long way. But again, I, I understood that the, the, the meaning of that, of that story is that even though I had two cars, one at home and one in Burbank, mm -hmm. I didn't have a way to get to from Compton to Burbank and get back without leaving the car unless I left both cars in both places. You see, so my car wasn't the end-all, be-all that day. Had two cars, but still had to get on the bus. The train and the metro to get to Burbank. So my wealth wasn't in that car. You know, and I, I didn't want to call anybody. I was able to do it. I didn't put my wealth in those things. I had to figure out another way to do it. So we don't, we don't hold tightly onto these uh, material things. So when we pray, be like this. Don't be like that. Pray this way. When you fast, be like this. Don't be like that. Fast this way. With your wealth, don't invest it in things that are likely to perish, things that'll, that'll uh, uh, rust and, and that things that moths will eat. Above all of these things is the need for the security and salvation of your soul. That's the most important thing. It's not the wealth. It's not the cars and the houses. We argue about um, whether uh, Jesus wants us to be wealthy and prosper and everybody's a, a, a new millionaire these days. It, it's... Is that really what it's about? Jesus, he's not saying that that's what it's about. As a matter of fact, he said, your wealth is not of this earth. Those are things that are not uh, very important in the grand scheme of things. You know, so when we listen to uh, uh, the, this, this prosperity, you know, gospel, what does it mean? 
Okay, even if, if we were able to accept that Jesus wants me to be wealthy, what is wealth? What does it really mean? If Jesus doesn't want me to be poor, what is poverty as defined by God or the world? What, what is it really? You see, because Jesus is saying here, even if I'm poor, he's not going to leave me hungry. And even if I'm poor, I'm not investing in clothing and cars. I'm investing in something more eternal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is wealth? What is poverty? What can money buy? What can it not buy? Mm -hmm. And we think about these things when Jesus said that the, the richest man can, men can't buy eternal salvation. The richest men in the world can't buy heaven. Mm -hmm. The greatest lawyer in the world can't negotiate your salvation. Right. Of all these things... In the world, salvation is the one thing that's for certain that's not for sale. That's right. yeah. Can't buy it. You can't even you can't even earn salvation. Right. You know, you ever had a job where they, they didn't pay you in money, with, but maybe you know, it's like taking a, a a purchase back to the store. They said, "Well, we can't give you a refund, but we give you a store credit." Okay, it's it, it's it's not money, but it's a credit, yeah. right? So you can't get the money back. But you have earned the right to come back to the store and buy something else of equal or lesser value. You've earned the credit. Salvation is just like that. You can't buy salvation. You can't, you can't take your, your miserable life and exchange it for something else without first having that credit. And it's a credit that you did not earn. Jesus earned that credit on the cross. So we have to think of it that way. Yet, we worry about all of these things. We worry about all the things that, that money can't buy. And we worry about all the things that we're missing out on because we don't have the money. Or we, we, what, what really happens is that we've lost sight of what's important. Yes. And the things we worry about are not the most important things. So why do we worry? Why do we allow it? Why do we worry? I'll give you a few reasons as to why Worry is not the thing to do. Why worry? The first thing I want you to understand is that worry is ignorant. Worry is ignorant. You know, if you catch me at the right time, you catch me saying worry is ignorant. It's not good. Because Jesus reminds us, Therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. Most of the time when we hear the term ignorant, we think of the word stupid. Okay? I don't particularly like that word, especially because that's not what ignorant means. Ignorant simply means lacking knowledge, information, or awareness about a particular thing. You like information, knowledge, or awareness about a particular thing. In other words, it means uh, it, 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 it simply means that you just don't know. That's right. You just don't know. You're ignorant. And that, again, the way people use it yeah. is they're turned into something else that means dumb or stupid, but it just means you don't know. Right. 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 Amen. You, you just don't know. So if, if, if Christ in, in verse 31 is reminding you that he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, wouldn't it be rather ignorant, or, or in other words, wouldn't it display uh, a lack of knowledge and information about who God is to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? 
Because if you're worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, you're ignorant of the fact that God feeds the birds and clothes the lilies and they don't go to work every day. And if the birds and the flowers are that important to God and you are the crowning glory of God's creation, how much more important are you to God? So certainly if he takes care of those things, he's going to take care of you. Why worry? Why worry? Like, like uh, verse 32, it, it says, For after all this, this is what the Gentiles seek. Now when the Bible says Gentiles, that means unbelievers. That means unbelievers. What good is it to go through your Bible, study, pray, fast, uh, come to church, and then just turn around and act like everybody else? You could have stayed home. You could have closed your Bible. You could have saved some, some money. Why go through all of that if you're going to believe and act like everybody else is believing and acting? Mm -hmm. The implication of the text is that unbelievers worry about that kind of stuff. Believers do not. Yeah. We don't worry about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We don't worry about those kinds of things. So if you worry about it, you're not only not no better off than the unbeliever, but you don't get to experience the full benefits of believing that your God can actually do what he says he can do. You don't get that benefit. There's benefits to belief. Because in your belief, you can step back and say, look at God. Look at what he did. Look at what he brought me through. Look at what he healed me from. But if you're an unbeliever, you don't get that benefit. You don't see it. You'd be like, no, I guess this medicine worked. Wasn't the medicine that worked? The blood of Jesus works. But again, if you're going to worry about all of these things, nobody, I, I'm not going to question anybody's belief. I'm not going to say that if you worry, you're not a believer. I'm not going to say that. Yeah. That wouldn't be true. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, you have worry. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to worry about it and make it that serious, you're no better off than somebody who doesn't believe in a God that can do everything and anything and everything that he says he can do. Yeah. Yeah. You're no better off. Mm -hmm. There was a man traveling down the road. Mm -hmm. And as he was traveling down the road, he, he met another man called Death. Mm -hmm. And the man called Death said, I'm on my way to this town. And when I get to that town, I'm going to kill 10,000 people. 10,000 people are going to die. Mm -hmm. The other man became very afraid. He said, I know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go down to the town and let everybody know that death is coming. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's some way they can avoid it. Mm -hmm. So the other man ran down to the town. He knocked on every door, stood up in every square, let everybody know death is coming, death is coming, he's going to kill 10,000 people, death is coming, lock your doors, get your children, death is coming. He let everybody know that death was coming and that death was killing 10,000 people. On his way out of the town, he saw death again. And when he saw death, he was a little confused. He said, I don't understand what happened. I went to the town. I let everybody know you were coming. And you said you weren't going to kill uh, 10,000, but 70,000 people ended up dying. Mm -hmm. Death looked at the man and said, I only killed 10,000. Mm -hmm. Fear and worry killed the rest. Yeah. Oh. Fear and worry yeah. killed the rest. So worry is ignorant. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is something that we are unaware and uneducated about. Worry is irreverent. Worry is also irreverent. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added to you. Irreverence is the act of not treating something with the proper respect. Irreverence is treating, not treating something with the proper respect. It's, irreverence is like being inside a courtroom and addressing the judge as the homie. Just, you know, your, your friend, just, just, just somebody from the block. Hey, judge, who's up? You know. Irreverence. As we know, or as some of us have become familiar with, when you're in the courtroom, you address the judge as your honor. Mm -hmm. Not your majesty, not, you know, your honor. Mm -hmm. It's a proper way to address the judge, giving the judge the proper reverence. Mm -hmm. Now, it is a free country. We do have free speech. Mm -hmm. You can literally address or call that judge whatever you want. But I'd be willing to guarantee that in the end, <laughs> it would be a lot better if you just said, your honor. Yes, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Yes. You know, when, uh, heaven forbid, you should get, you know, stopped or pulled over by the police. Now, you can call that police officer whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And Lord knows I have some choice words in my mind when I get pulled over. <laughs> but it's a lot easier, mm -hmm. a lot easier mm -hmm. to just say, officer, yeah. deputy, yeah. you know, thank you, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes. Just a lot easier, yeah. you know. And a lot of times, you know, that, that irreverence will rise up in you. Yeah. You know, where you, I'm not going to let them talk to me like that. I'm not going to let them treat me like that. And nobody's saying that, you know, nobody's uh, asking you to punk out. But sometimes, it's just a lot easier. You know, I, 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 I'd rather go home than, than go to the corner. You see what I'm saying? It's that serious for, for our people sometimes. It's just a lot easier. To give things the proper reverence. Giving things the proper reverence, it shows that we understand who the judge is. Mm -hmm. It shows that we respect their position and their function and their authority. And we respect the fact that they have the final word in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. They're in charge, not us. You know, there's a, um, you know, sometimes you'll see, you know, people getting thrown off of planes or, you know, things will happen on a ship, and a lot of people will be, will be confused as to why these things happened. Mm -hmm. And again, when you understand authority uh, in terms of reverence and position, when you understand authority, you'll understand that the judge is the last word in the courtroom. That's right. The captain is the last word on the ship or the plane. Mm -hmm. And so, I, and, and, you know, I've, I've been a, uh, I've worked for an airline before. And uh, there were things that the captain allowed that were not in the rule book. Mm -hmm. But because he was the captain, mm -hmm. he had the last word. That's right. I remember a little boy was on his way to, to Mexico. And he was on the, uh, getting on the plane. And I, when I checked him in, I didn't notice he had the iguana on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. You know, and we actually joked about animals. I, I did, just didn't notice. But when he got to the gate, they called me and said, Chris, did you check this passenger in? Yes, yes, I did. Did you know he has a six-foot iguana, you know, not six-foot, maybe a four-foot iguana on his shoulder? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't notice that. You need to come to the gate and talk to him. Okay, so go to the gate, talk to him. Just so happened that I was talking to him, the captain was passing by. He's like, oh, yeah, my son has one of these. These are pretty harmless. I'll tell you what, you're not supposed to have them. You know, we only really allow dogs and cats, but I tell you what, give them to me, we'll let them ride up front. <laughs> and so they gave the iguana to the captain, the iguana 
rolled up front where the captain sits. <laughs> right there in the window, because he had the best seat in the house. <laughs> the rules of the airline were that you're not supposed to have anything other than a dog or cat on the plane. No rabbits, no ducks, no chickens, no roosters, and no iguanas. <laughs> but the captain, the captain is the last word about what happens on the plane. And if the captain doesn't want you on the plane, you will not get on that plane. That's right. And if there's somebody who doesn't meet all the requirements that the captain does want on that plane, that person will get on the plane. They're the final word. And the, the thing that happens when you respect the authority of the judge or the captain, you don't have to worry about being held in contempt. That's right. You don't have to worry about bad things that are going to happen to you mm -hmm. if you display the proper reverence. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the question is this. If God can be trusted, if God is sufficient to do all that he says he can do, and God can in fact do all he says he can do, mm -hmm. why worry? Why worry? To worry is to say that God can't do what he says he can do. When that judge says, you will address me as your honor or you will be held in contempt and you will spend a night in jail, don't you believe that if you don't call the judge your honor and you are held in contempt, don't you believe you're going to spend a night in jail? Because that judge has the power and the authority to do what they say they can do. But if God tells you in Matthew chapter 6 that I have fed the birds of the air and clothed the lilies of the field. And, and in fact, they don't work. They don't address me. They don't do any of these things. But yet I take care of them anyway. Again, God taking care of the least of things, we should also believe that he can take care of the greater, which is us. And so when we don't believe or when we worry that God can't do things, we're in contempt. Mm -hmm. We're being irreverent. We're saying, well, I really don't believe that God is going to come through on this. Now, again, healthy concern is not the same as worry. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling sick, you need to go to the doctor. Yeah. If you're feeling sick, you need to go to the doctor. Don't just sit there and be like, well, you know. God take care of the birds of the air of the field. I guess he'll take care of this, this uh, you know, this uh, productive cough that I have. No, don't do that. You got pneumonia. You need to go see a doctor. You got fluid on your lungs. You need to go see a doctor. But to worry is to say, oh my God, I think I'm dying. I, Elizabeth, this is the big one. To worry. God, God didn't bring you this far, you know, to let a little cough take you out. Trust God. Trust God. So God is sufficient and he must be our priority. Some of us, you know, some people have a passion for worry. <laughs> you know, some people are real passionate about it. The same way I'm passionate about being out in the garden and doing certain things. Some people are passionate about worry. Some people worry is their hobby. It's all they do. You see, but we are instructed. That, here's the thing. You can only replace passion with a greater passion. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can only replace something that you like with something that you like more. Yeah. If you give me the choice between 
Um, and I love pound cake and I love chocolate cake. If you give me a choice between a pound cake and a chocolate cake, I'm going to choose chocolate cake because it's not that I don't like pound cake, I just like chocolate cake a little bit more. <laughs> and then if you offer me chocolate cake or red velvet cake, I like red velvet cake a little bit more. Chocolate cake is not bad. You know, so pound cake, chocolate cake, red velvet, all my passions. I just like one of them a little bit more. So you can only replace a passion with another passion. Your worry is the pound cake. All right? God is trying to offer you the red velvet. And you can substitute those with whatever cake you like. You know, you might like, you know, macaroon cookies. I don't know. Replace that. You can only replace a passion with a greater passion. Something that you like with something that you like more. Something you're passionate about with something that you're more passionate about. This is what I want to do. And so if you find yourself a warrior, you got to replace that passion with something, something greater. Something that takes your mind off of the stress. I mean, we just heard saying this morning, I woke up this morning with my mind, what? Stayed on Jesus. My mind being stayed on Jesus replaces everything that I was worried about. It's a greater passion. For my mind to be stayed on Jesus and to be stayed on these problems. Walking and talking with my mind, staying on Jesus. Ain't no harm to keep your mind stayed on Jesus. It replaces the passion of worry. So we're instructed to replace that. Giving up one habit for a greater habit. We, we, we have a, 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 a tendency to enjoy things more when we don't worry about it. We have to replace that worry with the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. These other things, the things that you worry about, will be added unto you. It kind of works a little bit like this. Um, is it, and, and, I, and I say this, and, and, you know, and, I, and I try, I'm not perfect, but I wake up and I, I, I want to be the best father. I want to be the best husband. Mm -hmm. But it's not something I should worry about. Right. You see, and I, and I had to learn that. You know, I, I I had to learn, you know, when I was a lot younger, I said I, I could I could do everything. I, I could I could take my wife on a trip around the world. I could buy my kids whatever they want. And I would probably still not get the result that I was looking for. Yeah. And if I did, it wouldn't be a true result. So I shouldn't be worried about that. I shouldn't be worried about giving my kids everything that I didn't have. And I'm just saying that because I actually had a pretty good childhood. Um, but I shouldn't be worried about those things. You see, what, what, what the Bible means and what Jesus means when he said, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So what that means is that if I seek God first, and I seek God's righteousness first, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good father. And I don't have to worry about it. All I have to do is seek God. All these other things, these other worries that I have, will be taken care of. You'll be the best co-worker. You'll be the best friend. You'll be the best pastor. You'll be the best wife. You'll be everything that you want to be if you just, what, seek God first. And His righteousness. You don't even have to worry about it. God has to be the priority is the highest purpose in life. Natural, the great husband, the great father part, that's a natural outgrowth of seeking God first. You want to be a better child to your parents, just seek God first. 
We've already been instructed as to what to do. Just seek God first. All of these other things will take care of themselves. So worry is ignorant. Worry is irreverent. Last thing is that worry is irresponsible. Worry is irresponsible. Verse 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow already has enough things in it. Why worry about it today? We all have the same 24 hours in a day. Are we going to spend that worrying about everything that happened yesterday? Are we going to spend it worrying about everything that happens tomorrow? Or are we just going to worry about these 24 hours that we have? And make the most of it and the best of it that we can. You see, we're wasting time. We're wasting time. You know, some people, I, I used to joke that, um, you know, when it comes to work, it seemed like I fell asleep on Friday and woke up, it was Monday. Missed the whole weekend. Weekend wasn't long enough. Didn't have enough time. Because I'm worried about Monday morning. I shouldn't be worried about Monday morning. I should just live for Friday night, do a little something on Saturday, and then on Sunday. You know, why am I worried about Sunday night getting up going to work in the morning? So we have enough things to think about today without worrying about tomorrow and next week. Now, like a lot of parents, Monica and I are at the stage where our oldest is uh, considering uh, college and where she's going to go, how much it's going to cost, what kind of scholarships are available, and for me, how far from home it is. <laughs> We're thinking about all that right now. I mean, and it's, it's getting real. It's like close. You know, talking with, you know, to share a little bit, talking with Monica last night, I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, this time next year. She's like, well, you know, we got to start, you know, in, in like October. We're going to be doing applications. I was like, October, what? It's too soon. I thought, well, that's not even a year from now. No, it's not. Like, she, she's going to know where she's going before the year is over, most likely. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. So, we're thinking about all of these things. And we've worried about some of them. We've worried about some of them. And the funny thing is, though, you know, even, even as a parent worries, if you were to ask my daughter, she would probably say, yeah, I have a list of colleges where I want to go. And I want to work with kids. And there's a lot of things I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to get me a little job at Starbucks. You know, there's a lot of things that I want to do. But while Monica and I are thinking about a year from now, what college you're going to go to, and what kind of scholarship to available, and how we're going to pay for it, you know what she's thinking about right now? I just want to pass my biology class. I just want to pass this class that I'm in right now. She'll correct me if I'm wrong uh, at home. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. We have become so focused on the past. What happened long ago, what somebody did to us. We get fixated on the future. Our dreams, what we want to do, what we tend to uh, ignore today. Uh, um, you know, we get focused on what's going to happen, what might happen, what should happen. Worrying about things that went wrong yesterday and what could go wrong tomorrow instead of worrying about what is right today. And keeping our minds stayed on Jesus today and what we have today. Worried about the sickness that we might have tomorrow instead of the health 
that we have today. Worried about how to pay for the future instead of enjoying today. And the strange thing is, all the worry in the world has never produced a positive result. Worrying about your height, I'm a witness, will never make you one inch taller than you're supposed to be. Worry about today. Worrying about your mortality will never help you live a year longer. Worry about today. We should always make reasonable plans, but how much is enough? We only have 24 hours in each day, and this is how we are to spend it. With 24 hours in a day, start each day with God. Start each day with God. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Notice it doesn't say this is the next week that God made. No, this is the day that God made. We will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. So start each day with God. Talk to God. Number two, when you stopped at a red light, when you hang up the phone, just, just stop and touch base with God. You know, and I, 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 I mentioned before that every time I've turned the corner, you know, you know I, we live on a nice street. It's not the best street, but it's nice. Mm -hmm. You know, right, right here in Compton. And every time I turn the corner, I'm, you know, God, thank you for putting me on this street. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you for giving me this, this house, you know, three, you know, the third house in the corner. Mm -hmm. Thank you for putting me on the good end of the street. <laughs> I really thank God for this type of stuff. I think there's a lot of places that we looked at some houses when we were looking. Mm -hmm. Lord have mercy. We, and we thought some houses that we looked at, we thought was it. And now we look at it and we say, oh, thank God we didn't get that house. Look at what happened. Look at these neighbors how they keep it. We thank God that we didn't get it. We, we, and we were even lucky enough to have people in our lives at the time that uh, we saw a house that we liked and it was, I forget where it was, but it was on the, uh, on the east side. And uh, it was a beautiful house, recently redone, new grass, new paint, everything. But next door they had all these, you know, big block cars. And they were car enthusiasts. So they had you know, Chevelles and uh, impossibly big, in big noisy engines, they would start up all time today. Yeah. Our realtor, thank God, we love the house, mm -hmm. but our realtor was like, mm, no, you, you don't want to live here. Yeah. <laughs> she kept looking, you don't want to live here. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay. But we love the house, and, and, and we needed that guidance right. yeah. to help keep us focused yeah. on what we really wanted. And so again, if we can start the day saying this is the day the Lord has made, we shall rejoice and be glad in it. And if we can just talk to God and thank Him as we're going through our day, we can keep the focus on the things that we really need in our life. The Bible tells us that He will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him. So we start each day with God. We talk to God during the day and we end the day with God. And when we end the day with God, we should say something like this, Lord, thank you for helping me. And walking with me through this day. This day yes. You know, the, the, the songwriter wrote, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our sorrows. Yeah. He will hear our faintest cry and answer by and by. Just a little talk with Jesus yeah. makes it right. Mm -hmm. And we only have 24 hours in a day to do that. There was a bishop who was speaking to a man who he had known a long while. And because he had known this man for so long, he understood this was the the most content and calm and easygoing man he had ever met in his life. And the bishop just decided to ask him one day. He's like, you know, I notice you're always so content. You're always so at peace with everything that's going on. Have you ever had a sleepless night? And the man replied, he said, I've had my troubles, but no sleepless nights. He says, 
when I go to bed, I say, Lord, you have to stay up all night anyway. There's no point in both of us losing sleep. And he tells God, he says, if you look after things tonight, when tomorrow comes, I'll do the best that I can to help you. So as we go and lay ourselves to bed at night, lay ourselves to bed tonight, we have an advocate. And we have a savior. We have a healer who's going to be up all night anyway. Why should you stay up all night and worry and lose sleep? Just let God handle the night. And when you get up in the morning, just try to help God with what he wants to do. When you get up in the morning, just try to act like you appreciate that. When you get up in the morning, say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. When you get up in the morning, say, tomorrow there's enough worry for itself. I will worry about today and thank the Lord for what he has given. And with that, we can get rid of ignorance. We can get rid of irreverence and irrationality. And we can get rid of irresponsibility. And just thank the Lord for what he has done. Healthy concern is fine. But there is no need to worry. And again, from a songwriter that wrote, I might not be able to qualify it. I might be, not be able to give you the science behind, behind it. But I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling that everything it's going to be all right. Why worry? Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for uh, blessing our ears, Heavenly Father, with, with your words, Lord, that not only instruct us, tell us, commend us, but remind us not to worry, Heavenly Father. We thank you for reminding us to take no thought, to not lose any sleep about what we're going to eat, where we're going to live, how we're going to dress. But we thank you for reminding us that this is the day that you have made. It is a day that we have never seen before. It is a day we will never see again, Heavenly Father. We thank you for reminding us to be present in this day. Let the past be the past. And let the worries of, the mor of tomorrow worry about themselves, Heavenly Father. But on this day, we will rejoice. On this day, we will be glad. On this day, we choose you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We offer ourselves to you. And we will not worry. For we know that the God who has said what he can do and created the heavens and the earth, we also know that he will be a blessing to us in our time of need. All these things in Jesus' name, we thank you for, and we pray. Amen. Somebody is praying for you. Yeah. And prayer helps. You know, when I, 
and you know, sometimes I, I don't want to be I don't want to be vague. It's just not my style. Um, when I say pray for my mother, my mother does not feel sick. But what, what happened is that my the last couple of times my mother took her driving test, she didn't pass. You know, and she's at that age now where she's worried about if I don't pass this test, I won't get around. You know, it can be something as simple as that. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not talking about you know anything major. It's just those little things. Yeah. You know. So when we pray, we just ask God to take that worry from people. Some people are worried about you know what this medicine is going to do to them. Some people, you know, it could be anything, just the little things. We're asking God to take control and take this worry from us. He's going to stay up all night and handle it. We don't have to. We can be concerned. We can go to the doctor. We can check up. We can check in. But we're not going to worry about a thing. Because we serve a God who can do anything for anyone at any time. And we're just going to trust him. We're just going to trust him. Dear Lord, we thank you for this fellowship. We pray for this fellowship, our family, our friends. We pray for the strength, health, and well-being of every person and every family represented here. We pray for the peace of mind for this entire congregation, the families they represent, and everyone that they will touch or come in contact with this week. Let us be a light and let us be a beacon that instructs the world as you instructed us to not worry, to not fear, to not be overly concerned about those things that we don't control. If we can't control it, why worry? And if we can control it, there's no need to worry. So Heavenly Father, just remind us and keep us at peace with what you have said in your word. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory which is due and be mindful of you in all ways and in all things. Now when the hymn was able to keep us from falling, and to present you faultless for his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. And God's people say, Amen. 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 Amen.